It's stories like this one that remind me how much I love running this show. I get to speak with people from all walks of life, to learn about them, and I think most importantly, to learn from them. Their highest highs, their lowest lows. It is an absolute privilege that has only been a possibility with your support. I know I've said it once or twice, but I, I do run the show out of my pocket, and it is a full-time gig. There's no The Man with a capital M for me to call in sick with. Taking pitches, recording, writing, editing, promoting the show is exhaustive and costly work. So if the lapse resonates with you, if it's something you find yourself binge listening to or something that makes your commute just that little more lively, consider being a part of what keeps me running. You can do that at patreon.com slash the lapse. That's quite seriously, as little as a dollar a month, the change you lose in your dryer. It adds up for me, it does. Not only does it ensure the roof over my head, but anytime someone donates, I know about it and it tells me that people actually care. Plus, you'll get access to a ton of bonus stuff I'm constantly producing, fully edited side stories, short films, early episode downloads of this show, uh, uncut interviews, conversations with myself or our storytellers, uh, even a handwritten thank you from yours truly mailed, snail mail style, to your house. The list goes on. You can chat with me, be a part of this at patreon.com slash the laps. Thank you, everybody. And now, Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Lap Storytelling Podcast, where we tell true stories gussied up. I'm your host, Kyle Jest, and today we have what will be by far the longest episode of the Laps ever. By a serious long shot. And trust me, that's a good thing because there's a lot of story here to tell, and it is quite extraordinary. If you've got a short trip or a lack of listening time right now, you don't have to take my advice, but personally, I would listen to this one in one go. Like a good movie, I figure best not to pause halfway through. With that said, Will Outsenheiser is an incredibly well-spoken, well-read guy. He was an academic and a professor of screenwriting at Boston University. And then, well, I'm calling this one His My Arms. Here it comes. This is The Lapse. The doctor said, your lungs need a break. We have to put you on a ventilator. All this for a leg cramp? This was just something that happened to me because I pulled a muscle when I was moving heavy boxes. The way he said it, well, your lungs need a break. We need to put you on a ventilator. It kind of made me think, well, okay, in some reasonable universe, they'll put me on a ventilator. They'll figure out what's up, and I'll be out of here by the end of the weekend. Will's just moved out of Boston, now the new film professor at Montana State University. This cramp was getting worse and worse. So I taught on Wednesday, and I taught on Thursday, and on Friday morning, my colleague and friend took me to the hospital, and I, I said to Bob as he dropped me off, you know, well, I'll see you at the noon meeting, with the noon meeting, with the noon meeting, with the noon meeting, with the noon meeting. Mr. Do you know where you are? Yes, I'm in a hospital. That's right. That's right. Good. Good. Now, do you know where you are? I'm in Montana. 
and they looked at me very sadly. No, you're in Utah. This is very mean of these nurses, because (laughs) I've never been to Utah in my life. Why would they be telling me that I was in Utah? Very quickly, I understood that the correct answer to the question of what state are you in was Utah, even though I didn't believe it. There were just trees and trees of IVs. I remember quite vividly trying to push pillows off of me. These pillows weren't going anywhere, even though I tried to push them and push them and push them. Felt like my arms were moving through quicksand. I was a victim of septic shock, so I had kidney failure, liver failure, spleen failure, heart failure. The infection causes blood clots, and those blood clots were blocking the circulation in my arms and legs. You bombard an infection like this, an invasive infection, with antibiotics, and they try to keep patient's blood pressure up by injecting a lot of fluid. And that fluid has to go somewhere. Eventually it starts to pool in in spaces where it ought not. Huge blisters six or seven inches like away from your body. They weren't pillows at all, but in fact I had gained about 80 pounds of fluid as the doctors were trying to keep me alive. It was probably a day or two after I realized how sick I was that I had a conversation with a surgeon who came in. He uh, unwrapped my hand There's an interesting way in which your brain doesn't actually allow you to know how sick you are. It barely looked like my hand, shriveled and kind of peeling. It looked like a a blackened, ashy, gray mummy's hand. He said, well, we think that we're really going to have to amputate. I said, yeah, it's... A good thing I learned to play the violin when I did. I had this bizarre sensation of flipping back and forth between time periods. Hallucination doesn't have that, oh, this is probably a dream quality. It's absolutely happening. I thought that I was turning my nurses into cyborgs. Through my mind, I was replacing their legs with wheels. They would sort of move almost like a Segway, gliding somehow, or that they didn't have feet anymore. What was amazing about this was that I no longer was in 2011. I was in 2028 or or something like that. In 2011, I didn't have my arms, but in the future, I did have my arms. This was presenting 
something of a choice. Was I going to live in a time that I had arms, which was a fantasy, or was I going to choose to live in a time that I didn't, which was reality? When your reality is so surreal that you find yourself waking up without arms, that was a nightmare. I had been so sick that the doctors removed the sick and dead tissue from my body. I had no idea what had made me so sick. Necrotizing fasciitis, often, though perhaps erroneously, referred to as flesh-eating bacteria. Truth is, as far as the bacteria goes, you could be carrying it with you asymptomatically right now. Up to 30% of us are, every day. Heck, you've probably been treated for it several times over. Strep throat can be a real pain. In Will's case, an emissary from Group A strep colonizes an area it shouldn't. His skin tissue, fat, muscles. It produces in its wake a mire of toxins so virulent they begin to necrotize the extremities, resulting in some of the most rapid, catastrophic cell death known to medicine. So much for a muscle pull, right? Well, it really could have been just from a muscle pull, something that had somehow gotten into my body, get a little bit of a, a foothold, so to speak. Whatever the cause of the case may be, for Will, that infection spread to all four of his limbs. He is now a quadrilateral amputee. I never really had a thought of, why did this happen to me? I kind of joked about this. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, what did I do in a past life? But I, I really, I honestly don't believe that people deserve anything that they get. You know, this was a biological thing, the mechanisms of bacteria that I couldn't even be angry at, really. It was just sort of, okay, wow, that was awful. They were, they were doing their thing, but that necrotizing fasciitis, man, that's a real bugger. I thought, I, I'm really going to be the best patient I possibly can. I really made an effort to get to know people's stories, and I'm going to learn people's names. Like, I learned my students' names, you know. Get to know them, because they're human beings who are there to learn from you. Now, the fact that my partner, Angel, had come out to be with me, I thought was a good sign, but I also understood that the terms of our relationship had changed so radically that I certainly couldn't have blamed him if he had decided that this was too much for him to take on. It wasn't as if we'd been together for 10 years and then this happened. It, it was still a fairly young relationship. His character was so strong and, and open to whatever life had including this. That meant obviously so much to me. For the present, he's still being fed with a tube in his nasal cavity. Can't even speak yet. Essentially, all I could communicate with, since I didn't have my voice and could barely move, was my eye. And I was trying to blink out letters to, to acknowledge people. Yes. No. Eventually, I was beginning to get through 
and we were beginning to go through an alphabet and, you know, A, B, C, D, blinking at the letter that I wanted. We would do this over and over to try to get out what I was trying to say. Especially when I was in extreme pain, I would try to think of music that I liked. And what I really wanted to hear was the four last songs by Strauss, Richard Strauss. We somehow got Strauss, that much I communicated. But when people looked for Strauss, what they found was Johann Strauss. They were like, Strauss, Will, you wanted to hear this, and suddenly it's the Blue Danube. It was groaningly inappropriate. One Strauss versus the other. And of course, there I was in the bed, totally unable to communicate and just being like, no. Christmas, one of my wonderful nurses brought in a blender and a pineapple and some cream of coconut, and we had virgin pina coladas. <laughs> that staff became my family, and not only do I owe my health, but in a lot of ways my sanity to everyone at the University of Utah Burn Center. January I came back to Boston, but I still wasn't ready to go home. I had a lot of rehab to go through. Six months of rehab. The map of your body in your brain no longer correlates with the territory that your body actually is. Your nerves in your residual limbs are sending out signals. They're starved for contact after having received and sent signals all this time, and suddenly they're like... There's just a lot of confusion. When I would turn my elbow inward, if it were next to my body, it would feel as if my arm were passing through my torso. I would feel my arm is somehow in me. When it got to my back, in a way as if I had my arm, I could have scratched my back that way, it would begin to feel natural again. I had a lot of phantom limb sensation basically as soon as my limbs were gone. Sometimes I had unbearable itches. You can't do anything about it. Some people with disabilities, whether they be amputations or not, or just are, are so paralyzed by self-consciousness. I don't mean to disparage that reaction. I think it's a totally legitimate reaction. I feel that it's good to be visible. It seems like it's particularly little children who, you know, haven't yet been told, you can't say that or you can't think that, you know. So I often hear when I'm going down the street, Mom, what happened to his legs? Wait a minute, I don't have arms either. <laughs> what, the, what the heck? Why are you ignoring them? I needed a consult with a plastic surgeon. His name was Yaromir Slama. Dr. Slama was very sympathetic, even in the brief time that he consulted. But the next day he came back to my room. He said, you know, I met with a friend last night. I mentioned your case, and he would like to talk with you. And he said, have you heard of Bodan Pomahak? 
If you haven't been following your medical advances, you might not be familiar with Dr. Pomahack. But Will? Uh, yes, I've heard about Pomahack. Dr. Pomahack is a world-renowned surgeon, head of the team at Boston's Brigham and Women's Hospital, the folks responsible for the world's first human face transplant. Come March 10th, 2012, Will has a meeting. Not only Dr. Pomahack, but also the other doctors involved with the transplant program. The conversation was really interesting. While we can't say for certain how much function we can restore, says Pomahack, given enough time to heal and enough time to find the right donor, we could attempt an arm transplant. In your case, a double arm transplant. It's really too early right now for someone in your situation, but let's see where you are in a year, and maybe we can consider it. Let's be clear here. These are not prosthetics we're talking about. These would come from a human donor, a set of arms potentially capable of touching, feeling, making a fist, or flipping the bird. Maybe. To make an understatement... It's not like, you know, plugging in a lamp. They join bone to bone and muscle to muscle and nerve to nerve and tendon to tendon and skin to skin and all that stuff. And then you have to wait. Aside from finding a matching donor, ensuring that Will's body has healed, countless blood tests, MRIs, x-rays, CAT scans, as well as profiling his emotional and psychological preparedness for the outcome, whatever it may be, New arms would also mean sudden additional body weight. Until then, the procedure will only move forward if Will is physically fit, strong enough to utilize the arms that he gets. So the further he heals, the farther he throws himself into physiotherapy. How do I get up from lying down? Can I get up on my elbow and really sit up? It took me months to do that. You know, I was I was able to use prostheses very well, especially on my right. I tied a shoelace in rehab using my prostheses. I could pick up coins and move them around. I mean, all the things that, that I could do. And once I got home, I figured out more. Will's actually gained some pretty significant function with his prosthetics. If he gets the surgery, that's if. And something goes wrong. Should his body reject the arms, should they simply fail to regain sensation, the arms will have to come off. Again. I strongly believe that this is sort of how science works, that there are people who are willing to go through some things, and that's how we make progress. It seems strange maybe to, to be amputated twice. <laughs> if I say no to it, then I'm going to live the rest of my life thinking, what if I had done that? If I say yes to it, I'm going to be able to give it a good shot. And at least, you know, if it fails, then I'm going to be able to say, well, I tried. I really tried. But that's all you can say is I made a really good effort to make this work. I was just studying arms and hands constantly. Almost everyone I would see, I would look at. You know, oh, look at those arms. I wonder if the arms I get might be like that, or wonder if the arms I get might be like that. There were all kinds of dreams that I had where I was, I was actually doing things. So I was walking somewhere. I was gesturing somehow. 
to be whole again like that was extremely pleasing. Those moments were wonderful and terrible. To wake up, not totally remembering, to realize, well, that's not the way things are. That you've endured this loss, and then you have to go through it again. Well, I don't recognize that number. It could be anyone. But it could be one of the doctors calling on their cell phone. Hello? Hi, this is Matt Carney. Um, this is Will. There's no reason Dr. Carty would be calling me from his cell phone unless it was the call. I have two questions for you. Do you want to go through with this? Then my second question is, where are you? And can you come down to the hospital soon? I put the phone down and I was shaking. Just shaking. I woke up the next morning feeling like I was choking. I heard one of my nurses say, that has got to come out. This breathing tube. And she pulled it. The nurses looked at each other and they were like, yep, that was the right decision. It takes a moment. Just the one. There were arms. They resemble mine enough. They were a little more tan than mine. They're a little um, slightly hairier, not much. They were a little plumper than mine, but I couldn't tell whether that was from swelling from the surgery or whether they actually were. Altogether, beautiful. When they were first on me, the arms were actually dead weight, or you would you would call them that. They're not innervated at all. Like, my nerves weren't working. All of the lifting power that I had was really coming from me, from my body. So it's essentially, it was like having, let's say, 10 pound or whatever weights strapped onto the end of my arms, which I actually did for a while before I got the surgery, just to try to get a sensation of what it might be like. Once the arms were actually on me, that weight is distal. That is, it's farther from my body. So this distal weight, actually for weeks, I was still not really able to even roll over myself. I turned on my shower in the morning and I stuck my arm under the water. I thought, wait a minute, and I took my arm out and I shut the water off. I realized that I was feeling cold. There are people who can, who have had transplants who can now distinguish between touching like a hardcover book, you know, sort of glossy, smooth feeling and the rough paper of a page. Think about the, the fine nerve detection that can sense that, and, and that's, that's very impressive to me. The motor control will come slowly, and, and like the sensation, hopefully over a long period of time will get better and better and better. But it remains to be seen, it's still a gamble, even now. The right has sensation a little further along down than the left, because 
the left amputation was above my elbow, so the nerves have a lot farther to travel. So sensory nerves are coming back first, motor nerves are slowly, slowly coming back, making connections that they need to make to control the muscles. My hand movements, especially on the left, it's very, very weak. It's minimal. Uh, I'm moving my fingers now a few millimeters, but they're moving. On the right hand, I'm beginning to be able to kind of clench my fingers a little bit and to extend them pretty well, and the same with the wrist. I wouldn't say they're quite functional yet because I don't have the strength, but I expect that that strength will come the more I do it. Those are real gains. And then there's this other small issue, which is the possibility of leg transplants. Brigham is, is beginning a leg transplant protocol. I myself will need to become as fully capable with my arms as possible, to be able to bear my weight through my arms, to be able to move myself around. And I, I said to my doctors, I don't know how much of my 40s I want to spend in the hospital, but it, it, it's not maybe an impossibility. I always wonder now whether the, the donor knew how beautiful his arms were. The donor is anonymous to me. And, you know, it's weird to think about because you couldn't possibly be more intimate. The other day I felt wind on my arm. And after not having felt that for over three years, I feel a little um, greedy almost, so it makes me sad in some way. I mourn my donor. I'm so lucky to have the arms, it, it feels like it's inappropriate almost because someone lost his life and, and can't enjoy the arms that, that he had. In Ulysses, there's a line that Joyce has about his my shoes. His my is one word. And basically Daedalus is thinking about borrowed shoes that he's wearing. I mean, it's a, it's a little more complicated, but his my is what I really want to think about. And, and for a while, I kind of thought of the arms as his my arms. But I, I really, I do realize they, they really are mine. Um, despite having another provenance, in a sense. They are so precious to me. They are me. That story again was shared by Will Lautzenheiser. Thank you so much to Will for spending the time to chat with me for what must have been a four-hour conversation. Uh, so many questions. If you'd like to hear the entire interview, I will be putting it up on Patreon, and it is chock full of stuff we didn't even touch on here. Did you know that Will has an identical twin? That's, yeah, that's a whole can of worms in and of itself. He also does stand-up, uh, ha-ha, he says, comedy, and uh, he talks a little bit about amputation devotees. Really quite something. So that'll be up for supporters at patreon.com slash thelaps, and you can expect some mini-sodes out of this as well. If you've been thinking of helping this thing keep going, or you've been interested in some of the minisodes, but just haven't quite gotten there, let me tell you, there couldn't be a better time than right now. 
Thank you so much to Jesse Brennan for transcribing the huge swath of audio and a massive shout out to Mara Bresnahan. I'd never have spoken to Will without her. Mara had been keeping an eye out for stories when she and Will met at the Real Abilities Film Festival in Boston. Told him about the show and after what he says was a bit of a binge listen, here we are. Will and his crew are actually working on a feature-length documentary about his experience, the short version of which is called Stumped. If you keep an eye on their Facebook page, you might hear more about where and when you can watch that in the future. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can do so at The Lapse Podcast. That's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, if you have a story you want to share, you can talk to me at stories at thelapse.org. My name is Kyle Jest, and this was The Lapse. Thank you so much for listening.